Greetings in the risen Lord's name this morning. I uh, am pausing from my book study on First Peter because of being resurrection morning. But uh, I just, we were talking about Peter already this morning. He saw the resurrection. <clears throat> I appreciated that first message, Lindell, very much, and the rest of the service, too. In July 3rd, 1878, a Jewish family immigrated from Hungary to United, to United States. And among that family was a four-year-old boy named Eric, now Eric, old English name, not English, uh, European name. And his nickname was Harry. He grew up to be an escape artist. He um, took the last name, I guess I'm pronouncing it right, Houdini, because uh, uh, Houdini was uh, one of his heroes. This Harry Houdini could escape from anything, it seemed. He would, early in his career, he would go into towns and he would get uh, the police to handcuff him and could always escape. Um, he got put in prison cells. He put, was put in a prison cell that held presidential assassins and he could escape from those cells. Um, he, he developed his skill and he, I, I don't know, he got thrown handcuffed and shackled into the river and out he comes. He was a world famous escape artist. Then something happened in October of 1926 when he was only 52. Death came knocking onto his door, and he had a wife, Bess, whom he loved dearly, and he thought if it was possible for anyone to escape death or come back from death, maybe he would be the one that could do it, he could escape from anything, right? So him and his wife devised a code, a special code that only the two of them knew, that after he dies, that she would know it was him and not someone else coming back, communicating to him, her. To prove that it was really him breaking through from the afterlife. But after 10 years, Beth had not received any message from her husband. After 10 years, he finally realized Harry Houdini had met something he couldn't escape from. But suppose he had found a way. Suppose, actually, he would have come back and he would have communicated the way or the method of how he escaped death. Imagine that. Suppose he would be able to tell his experience and he would have a, 
a listening world how they could also do it, how they could escape death. I did it. Listen to me. You need to prepare before death like I did. You need to learn how to escape like I did. And you get good at it. You practice it. Make it your life purpose. Give yourself to it. And after you die, you'll be prepared to be free, get free from the control of death like I did. If you do all that I say, you can escape. What if... Wouldn't it have a lot of people following that teaching, wouldn't you? If you have someone who would do that, you would have people following him. There's only one problem. He didn't. And there was, what? One man who did, right? <laughs> there was one man. Can anyone guess who that might be? <laughs> to date, there's only one man who lived walked, breathed, ate, and died, and grew cold and stiff, and was buried, that was, again, risen from the dead. Now, we have other examples in the scripture, like uh, Lazarus is the prime example. He died and was resurrected again, but he was resurrected in his disease-prone, sinful body. Jesus was resurrected. He's the first one that was resurrected that is completely free of all the ravages of sin and nature. Lazarus died again. He is still waiting the resurrection. But Jesus died, he rose again, never again to die. That's what we believe as Christians. And it was mentioned this morning already, if the resurrection didn't happen, we wouldn't be here. There would be no reason to be here. If the resurrection isn't truth, our faith falls like a house of cards. If Jesus didn't rise, neither will we rise. We will live our years, then we'll die. And that's it. Uh, the Apostle Paul was pretty disturbed by some of the people in the, current, in, the, in the Corinthian church who were denying the resurrection in some form. And he, he says this, he writes this. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 32, he said, If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast at Ephesus, what advantages me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> That's a very rational argument. If life is all there is, then get all you can. Get all the status, get all the pleasure, get all the possessions. Go for it. Let yourself go. Don't worry about the things that some people call sin because it doesn't matter because after you die, you're dead. That would be a logical consequence of uh, not believing in a resurrection. 
uh, Paul didn't believe that. He, he did believe in the resurrection and then in an eternity, and his perspective was completely different. And the reason it was is one day he met, not Harry Houdini, <laughs> he met Jesus of Nazareth. He said, in awe, he said, I met the risen Lord. He didn't need a secret code. <laughs> he met the Lord. And it changed his life. You see, prior to when Paul met the Lord Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now he was so convinced of it that he went everywhere telling people he is risen. It's true. It's true. One of the apostles, one of the disciples at that point, Thomas, he wouldn't believe that Jesus was alive. He was missing when the, when Jesus came to the other ones, like you know, and he said, I am not going to believe unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands and put my hand in his side where the spear went in. At least he wasn't gullible, right? He wanted to have evidence. He wanted to know. Although he really didn't have an excuse because he had pretty strong testimony. And Jesus did show himself to Thomas, and Thomas became a believer on the spot. And then Jesus said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Then he speaks to us, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. So we believe that Jesus is alive today. We most likely, everyone here, believes that we will die someday. <laughs> Do you really believe that you'll also be resurrected someday? And come face to face with God. One day, Jesus was teaching a crowd. It was in John 5. A very interesting passage in John 5 where Jesus was having this discussion with the crowd. And um, he was teaching them that the people would not believe that he was the Messiah. So he told them, he said, I am the judge. And when he said, I am going to judge you. And I'm not quite sure the context of when he said that all that, whether he's after to die or what. But he said, I am the judge. It made him more than just a man. It made him more than just a prophet. It made him God. And uh, the entire chapter of chapter 5 is when John is, is uh, when Jesus is trying to persuade the people who he really was. And then he said, uh, we'll turn to scripture later on, but I'll just read this one yet. John 5, 28 and 29, he said, marvel not at this, Jesus is telling them. Don't be surprised, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves, that's everyone who has died, all, shall hear his voice, that's my voice, and shall come forth, 
they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This is not an eat and drink for tomorrow we die message. This is consider who I am. We consider a little bit who the Lord Jesus was this morning. I like that. I, I didn't, Lindell, when you were asking the question, I wasn't quite sure where you were, where you were going at, and my answer wasn't very good. Uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Consider who I am and listen to me, because after you die, you will be summoned to me in court, to appear in my court. And judgment is going to be rendered, and it's going to be fair and true. And everyone will be there, including Harry Houdini, and you and I. Donald Trump is going to get his day in court in New York City sometime, probably this end of this year. But Donald Trump is going to get his day in court, in this court someday also. And he will be rendered exact judgment. And an exact sentence will be given. Now that, that's enough to scare us if we're not ready to meet the Lord. But is that the ideal plan? To live, to die, and then face the judgment? Well, the Lord Jesus, some more words of the Lord Jesus in John. And here he says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. <laughs> he didn't actually come to bring judgment. But... To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is, that is actually the ideal plan. And I'm going to read in John a few verses there, and very familiar. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So yes, there is a court, but there is settlement before you get to the court. <laughs> There's a, there is a, a transaction. There is a, um, there is a, well, the Lord Jesus, the whole idea of the, the penalty that he took in our place. <clears throat> there's a provision ahead of time 
from the one who is going to be my judge. And so the time is coming that they that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They that had done good unto the resurrection of life and they that had done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And condemn and damnation, it's the same word. It's one is a verb and the other is a noun. It means making a decision based at the result of an investigation. Jesus will do that, but he will want to find people not guilty. That's his heart. (laughs) But this is what he's going to find. Reading here in John, we should have turned to this when this passage is so long, but... And this is the condemnation. Talk about the judgment. Talking about light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that hateth the light, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds might be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Light has come. Mankind's problem is usually not a lack of knowing. It's mostly a love of darkness. I say mostly, I'm thinking, I, I, I probably exceptions, I'm thinking of Apostle Paul. Now, he, he lacked, he was deceived. He actually did think he was doing the right thing. And so, I'm not sure, but for the most part, it's a love of darkness. It's a love of our own way that keeps us. And I remember, now this is my my one every morning John D. Martin story that I have to say here. <laughs> I remember you talking about these brilliant scholars, John. And they, they, they are right up to it. They can figure things out. They make perfect sense. Their mind works perfectly. Until it comes to their morals. And when it comes to their morals, their mind, all it becomes is a rationality machine to justify what they really want to do. And so, you, you have, when it comes to morals, men loved darkness. And because they love darkness, they will then generate rational arguments why they should do what they're doing, even though it's wrong. And they hate the light. They don't want to be changed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see they are doing what God wants. That's a paraphrase. And that's simply a variation of let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now for the rest of the message, I want to look And focus on this kind of life. We as Christians, you know, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. He was the first fruits. 
And we are going to follow sometime later in the resurrection. But Christians are participating in the resurrection now. There is a current resurrection. Uh, I would call it maybe a down payment resurrection. In fact, Doris mentioned it in her verse that she said, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the resurrection we want to talk about for the rest of the morning. We are called to walk in the resurrection. It's a title of a book by Andrew St. Marie, Walking in the Resurrection, which is uh, basically a, uh, a commentary on the Schleidheim Confession. We're going to look at two false views first, very briefly, and then we'll look at uh, the view that Jesus and the apostles taught. Well, actually, in this case, because it's so brief, we're going to be mostly an Apostle Paul. The first belief is, well, I was trying to figure out if I'd even, but there's there are different different ways of of, uh, of when you in in the Christian belief system, how how do we? Now, nah, I can't think of the word. But anyhow, the first false belief is that there is some goodness hidden somewhere inside of me. This would be more the progressive view. That if you put, you know, I'm I'm not really nice to get along with, and I have my problems and I have my inconsistencies. But if you look deep, 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 deep inside of me, really deep, you'll find some good nugget inside of me. It's it's like a a seed that's just waiting for the right kind of warmth. When the uh, Catholic priest asked Mother Teresa if she attempted to convert people, she responded, Yes, I convert. I convert you to a better Hindu or a better Muslim or a better Protestant or a better Catholic or a better Shi or a better Buddhist. And after you have found God, it is for you to do what God wants you to do. False religions want to take the good that is already in us and make it better. But I have come to the conclusion that if what is actually in me would be made better, I would be made worse. (laughs) That's my conclusion. If what's in me would be made better in my carnal, the old man, if that would be made better, I would actually be worse. It would be like a caterpillar trying to fly. Okay, so the caterpillar can't fly. Well, maybe if it gets on a higher twig, it can fly. <laughs> well, what if you throw it into the air? That'll, that'll do it. No, the caterpillar needs a metamorphosis. It needs a new birth. Then it will fly. The second false view is the popular evangelical view, which is much closer to home. It's not by all in the evangelicals, so I want to be fair, but it's prominent. 
And here it is. It's, we, we are not under law, but we're under grace. Law meaning to them the things that you would do if you would do what's right, if you'd be good. But since we aren't good, since we are sinners, we will do things we know are wrong. And then we become sinners saved by grace. Grace meaning to them that God overlooks or covers our sin. We still sin, but because we believe in Jesus, we will not face God in judgment for it. Jesus took our place and paid the penalty or the fine, so to speak. Therefore, grace means God will not indict us for our sins. He will not charge us. And that's exactly what the early Anabaptists faced. And you're reading the cover letter of the Schleidheim Confession of Faith. I want to read a paragraph there. A very great offense has been introduced by certain false brethren among us so that some have turned aside from the faith in the way they intend to practice and observe the freedom of the Spirit and Christ. But such have missed the truth and their condemnation are, and to their condemnation are given over to lasciviousness and self-indulgence of the flesh. And here's the key verse, a key sentence. They think faith and love may do and permit everything and nothing will harm them or condemn them since they are believers. Because you are a believer, you are immune to punishment or judgment regardless what how you live. That's pretty well what they were saying. The reformers and here here here's an interesting interesting concept. The reformers wanted to motivate people to good works and holy living by saying these are a result of gratitude to God for his work. In other words, because you are saved you should want to work, you should want to please God, and so you should do these things that God wants you to do out of gratitude. Out of gratitude for the work that he did for you. Michael Sattler wanted to motivate good works and holy living by saying they were necessary for salvation. And the good works are the result of what God has done in you. Not for you, but in you. Which of those two is closest to the scripture? You can turn to Romans chapter 6. This is an encouragement to walk in the resurrection this morning, okay? Starting at verse 1, we'll read the first five verses at first here. But then just keep your Bible open to there because we read portions of more of it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That was actually exactly what Michael Sattler was dealing with there. 
God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There we have the resurrection there, the, the walking in the resurrection title. And that's the title, Walking in the Resurrection. True Christians walk in a resurged life. Now, it's a replica it's a down payment of what is going to come, the real, true, final resurrection of the body. It begins now. Someday we'll have completely new bodies that are completely untainted from sin and defilement. But today we are in battle. And we, by faith, do overcome the evil deeds of our mind and our body. Verses 6 and 7 here of Romans 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth ye should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And the image here is we are buried with Christ in baptism into death. That, our, that is our old life. We have rejected our old life. We have put it off. We have renounced it. And then we rise again out of the water into the newness of life that comes from the power of God. To a new life. And it says, and it says here, actually, you should not serve sin because the new birth the, the the dying of the old man and the resurrection of new life does not guarantee it's not an automatic it does not bring a guaranteed holy life if it would this message would be unnecessary but it doesn't there's a part for us to do what we need to know is that we have the ability to fly. We have wings to fly. We have a spirit to fly. But then we need to fly. <laughs> and our habit that we bring with us is still to crawl. They come with us. But we're not the caterpillar anymore. If you are a Christian, you actually have wings. Now, there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. That is someone who should be holy and isn't. But I'm not sure how much we can tell the difference between a carnal Christian and a non-Christian. Do you have a good... Anybody have good parameters on that? What's the difference between a carnal Christian and a non-Christian in their life? Probably not too much. Both of them need to be 
need the same thing. They need to be brought to Jesus and they need to repent. And both need to recognize that the power they need comes from the Lord. Last evening we read in Numbers, uh, in family devotions, about those 12 spies. And they went and they spied out the land and they came back and the 10 of them gave a discouraging report. Too many enemies. They're too big. The cities are too big. The walls are too high. We can't do it. God said, go, I'll give you the victory. They said, we can't do it. God said, I'll be with you. You can do it. And he said, we can't do it. What was the problem? In Hebrews, it talks they didn't mix they didn't mix the knowledge of the word with faith. They were lacking in faith. They didn't believe God. Verse seven He who is dead is free from sin. Now, free from sin, it means you're free from the bondage of sin. It doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you're perfect, okay? But it means you're free. He who is dead is free from the bondage of sin. If you're not free from the bondage of sin, maybe there's something wrong with your death. So you say, well, I don't feel free. God says the old man has been rendered dead. He has been rendered ineffective. And ineffective is a comparative compared to what we get. God says the old man has been rendered dead. Chalk it down. Reckon it so. And walk. Walk in faith and walk in the Lord's power, trusting the Lord. He said, you can walk. But some of us are like animals <laughs> that were kept in captivity. And then they had this idea that we're going to release these animals. And they did put this cage for the animals in and they put it in the jungle. And they opened the door and the animal doesn't want to get out of its familiar surroundings. They don't want to go out in that big white, what's out there? And just stay in the cage. They, they, they're, it's all they ever knew. Romans 6 is asking us, telling us to believe the actual transformation that God has brought into our lives. <clears throat> Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive unto God. Both of those. Reckon it, consider it so, you're dead to sin, you are also alive to God. Consider it to be true. Application here. We are to look at the sins that we feel we are in bondage to and say, the Lord Jesus has delivered me from this bondage. 
I need to consider and reckon it so. The old man is powerless and effective, and I can walk. I can walk in righteousness. I do not have an excuse for my sin. I feel the clamp of sin on my arm. I feel it pulling me. But I'm going to believe that I have a power that is greater than that. I like to think of the um, Pilgrim's Progress. It's such a beautiful illustration when he was on the path and he came to two lions. You remember, you, if you, you know, familiar Pilgrim's Progress. He was, he was walking along and he came to lions and he stopped because you don't deal with lions. <clears throat> he was told those lions are chained. <laughs> he said, those lions can't get you. If you stay in the middle of the path, they won't hurt you. But he couldn't see the chains. And a lion can really kill you. And they were, they got up. You know, I don't know how to, what the whole idea is. They were, they were waiting for him to come. They were pawing. He says, you stay in the path. You stay in the middle of the path. He was told that. I don't know, I didn't read the story. I don't know who told him that, but whatever, whatever it came, that came from God. You just stay there. And so he had to take it by faith. He had to take it by faith. And he went in there, and the whole story is those he could feel the breath of the lion. He could feel the wind of their claws swinging at him. But you can better believe it. He stayed in the middle of that path, and he was not scratched by those lions. But he would, had he not had faith to take God at his word, he would have never gone through there. Instead of excuse for sin, God offers us deliverance from sin. And I know that in these things that we deal with, there's many practical ways of, of, of dealing with these things. But I, I'm telling you, there's a scripture, and it's very kernel. <clears throat> Instead of excuse for sin, God offers us deliverance from sin. But you may say, I don't have a choice. God actually says you do. In verse 12 of Romans 6. Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal bodies that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't give it the authority don't let it have authority in your life. Before you are saved, it is your nature to sin. It's called your sin nature. Now that you are a Christian and have the spirit, you can see sin as something other than you. It's now an intruder. It's not your home. It's a temptation coming at you, not necessarily from you. 
I say, well, yes, it's coming from my old nature. So in that sense, it's coming from me. But my, I have a new identity. I have a new nature. And now I have my identity. My core identity is now Christ. And that is who I now am. And so these temptations are not, they're coming from outside. It's now an intruder, and I get to pick whether I will accept that intruder or not, whether I will walk in that new identity or not. We cannot stop from being tempted. We just need to not allow sin to rule in our mortal body. So you have this battle, and you do have a battle. But remember, what does the word of God say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the truth. Now, I know that's talking about the devil. But that's talking about what's actually going on inside of us. That is a by faith walking between the lions event. Sin is an option. Do not let it rule. You have a choice. We should never say, I can't help myself. That there thing that I can't help myself might make you feel better at the moment. <laughs> but it actually is, is actually a feeling that will actually entrap you. It'll bring you to more bondage. I can't help myself is, is the pathway to deeper and deeper bondage it's a lie it's a victim mentality that makes me feel better at the moment but makes my life worse in the long run addictions are real but we should never put them in the place where we say i do not have the ability to follow jesus in this area i can but in that area i can't Uh, scripture does not teach that does not give that kind of liberty. Uh, you're familiar with that very familiar verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, if you read this verse carefully, it act, this verse does actually not say that God will not give you more than you can bear. I, I talk to some people that they said, we, I got more than I could bear. And, and this verse is actually not saying that. Well, you know what this verse is actually saying? It is saying there will never be a temptation in which you will not have a choice. That you will have a choice to say yes or no. God is saying you will always have a choice in the temptation. And you always make a choice. But by faith, God says there is, you can say no to temptation. 
And this is where I, yeah, where we're called to walk in that resurrection. And this is what Paul did. And now I'm going to read, and you can turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read some verses here. Walking in the resurrection. Starting at verse 7, I mean, there's so much here we could read, but... Romans, Romans chapter 6 is pretty well a, a theological treatise. Here we actually see it coming out in the life of Paul as a personal testimony. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now, if we were go to back to Romans chapter 5, uh, you said, he that is dead is free from sin. There's a, there's a death to die. Well, Paul had died a death. He died to his entire old life. And he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excel- excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. There is always a cost to following the Lord Jesus Christ. It will cost you and me everything. This is the death that needs to happen. And the question is, if we struggle a lot with sin, we need to check our death. Reading on, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now here we have a righteousness. He didn't, Paul didn't have his own righteousness, but he had a righteousness which is by faith. This is the same righteousness that the Israelites failed to have. If they would have had faith, they would have been righteous in the commandment God gave them. That's what faith does. Paul said, but basically giving his testimony, the righteousness I have, I have it, it's by faith. And I believe God and act on it. I actually am righteous because I am following. I, I, I to be careful, maybe this is a discussion we're going to afterwards. There is a righteousness that is imputed to us, but I am talking at this one, this is a righteousness which is imparted in Paul's life. It becomes a part of him as he believes by faith. When he, as he reckoned the old man dead, the Lord will meet you at your time of need. You will receive strength. And then you will have that righteousness which you will have by faith in God. Reading on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew Peter's words. He, Peter, what did Jesus say? Uh, Peter, Jesus' words. What had Jesus said? He said, those that have done good, Get the resurrection of life. 
Paul was going to be there. And he was going to do it through death to his old life, through faith in the power of God, and a relationship with that risen Savior. I know him. And not only you also know him, but also you understand the power of his resurrection. And then he goes on to the fellowship of his suffering and, and all that, that I might attain under resurrection. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend for, for which I also am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. And if any be you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now this is, I take from this, is that we never arrive. We are always on the path. Praise God that we're on the path. But it's a journey, and it's a continuing journey, and it's a journey until the end. It's a blessed journey, but it is a journey of suffering. So we do battle against sin. But just think of this. The victory over sin in our lives is so much sweeter than if we were just just automatically delivered from it. If we wouldn't have the experience of having a faith with our Lord Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, having faith in him, and then by that grace conquering our sin, and we do it over and over and over again. By the power of God, we conquer sin in our life. That, that whole thing of the sweetness of victory is much greater than if it were just handed to us. Like, like the Marines, they have that slogan, maybe they did used to. It's always earned, never given, something like that. Never earned, uh, yeah. You don't become a Marine given to you. You actually go through a very, very rigorous progress. And I heard that in boot camp, they are, they are standing in rows, the young men standing in rows, and the instructor tells them, look to your right, look to your left. One of them is not going to be there by the time we're done. They have about a 50% chance, that's at least what I heard. But the again and again and again, by walking with our Lord, the exhilaration of victory by overcoming sin that we know that was the power of God. Though we get weary in battle at times, and we do, we do not give up. And there's too much at stake, just the illustration of the Marines. 
Sin is such a waste of time. It's such a vanity. It's so self-defeating. It brings us into bondage when we've been called to freedom. It's temporal. We're going to pass away. All our money, all our lustful desires, they won't be around in a 100 years, and for some of us, 50 years or less. The world thinks the ultimate experience is sin. The Bible says the ultimate experience is knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and righteousness. And righteousness brings holiness. And I just think it's just so horrible to live as a sinner. Like someone has said, everything I like is either sinful or, or illegal or fattening. <laughs> what a horrible way to live. Let's look very briefly at the final resurrections. And you can turn to uh, Gen- uh, Revelation chapter 20. It's not going to be a course in eschatology, but we're just going to look at a few things here in chapter 20. Verses 5 and 6, and I, I'm going to abbreviate here, but we'll just read 5 and 6. It talks about, of course, there in, in verse 20, about the angel coming down and getting a hold of the dragon and, and uh, binding him. Uh, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part of the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All who are saved are going to have part of this first resurrection. Um, and it's a result of the victory of Jesus. Whether it's Old Testament saints that believed in the becoming Messiah or whether it's New Testament saints who came to the Lord Jesus and gave their lives, uh, surrendered their lives to him and trusted in his salvation and walked with him. So that's the good news, the, the first resurrection. And there is, the second death has no power. But then if we go down to verse 11, and we'll see the other resurrection. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell, that acted the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, that time will come. That is actually the fulfillment of when Jesus said, Marvel not, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They that have done good, 
to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. This is Resurrection Sunday. Walk in the resurrection. And could I say, with a, using a colloquial language, may I see you there. <laughs> may we kneel for prayer. <clears throat> Just Lord, we are grateful to you that great victory you have won when you went hand-to-hand combat against Satan and you wrenched the kingdom out of him and took it back to yourself. You are now king and Lord and you are now reigning in heaven. I pray, Lord, for each one of us here Help us to recognize the true reality of what you have won for each one of us. May we not be subpar or mediocre, but may we be make full full use of the full spectrum of the victory you won through the cross and through the resurrection. I just thank you, Lord, that we can preach such a message as this. Help us, Lord to live that message in the same way. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.